Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a wine podcast that speaks to the people, also the stories that have shaped these world-class wines and this one-of-a-kind personality of Paso Wine Country. I am your host, Adam Montiel. Well, lots of great feedback on our conversation last episode with Molly Longborg and Daniel Callen, both winemakers with side hustles. Now, today I'm really stoked because we got another great set of winemakers here with some really great stories of success. Now, first, I wanted to give you some info about our upcoming Paso Wine Auction. We're very excited about it. It's the second annual Paso Robles Wine Country Virtual Auction. The week-long online auction will run from June 20th through the 25th. Really a rare opportunity for folks to acquire distinctive, exceptional lots not offered anywhere else. The auction features packages that combine, shoot, tasting excursions, luxury overnight stays, uh, winemaker dinners at Paso's hottest restaurants, exciting vineyard tours, helicopter adventures, as well as rare and allocated wines you just can't get your hands on. Proceeds will benefit the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance Foundation. It's a nonprofit 501c3 organization that gives back to the community to both local nonprofits and educational scholarships to inspire young adults from the Paso Robles region. So make sure to learn more. Hit up PasoWine.com. All right. Today, two men, two brands that put it all on black. They just put it all on black. They jumped, took that leap, then found the wind, their wings, and now are flying. Both with unique stories, it's cool to see how different everyone is, but when we have them in both the same room for an hour and chat over a bottle or two, how much surfaces that's really the same and things we find in common about us. Today we're talking to Brett Ernest of Levo, located in Tin City. Brett is one of the Tin City OGs. He's watched Tin City grow around him and really credits Levo's home there to really just was a critical time. He was making a lot of real watershed decisions for the Levo brand and him being in Tin City really saved him. It led him to the path he was meant to be on and thrive on. Brett is a super cool dude, authentic. I've always liked him and it's been far too long since we've connected and for wine to have taken us here. Speaking of long time coming as well, Connor McMahon. First met Connor back when he was at Booker, who was the assistant winemaker for Eric Jensen at Booker for a while, literally with his passion and uh, his knowledge. He's a fantastic winemaker. And like so many of these stories, a little right place, right time, he was able to purchase the property next door to Booker. And I mean, great neighbors. You got Caliza, Epic's Catapult Vineyard down the road, a ton more. He was able to buy that property and really make a great home for his brand there. What he's built here, oh my God, it's beautiful. Modern looking, artistic, rustic, classy place to taste. The views are gorgeous. So we will learn all about Full Draw Vineyard. In fact, I show up to Full Draw. It's getting warm in Paso. We go upstairs. We're set up in Connor's office. Both Brett and Connor, they brought some incredible wines. And I cannot wait to get into these and to this conversation. Let's go. Hey, I'm James Suckling. And here's where wine takes you. Give me that moonshine, woogie bow. We pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. I love this wine. 
Is this a new one? Uh, yeah, this is 2020, and okay. we just released this. Bamboo. Yes, bamboo. So uh, 91% Grenache Blanc and oh. 9% Claret Blanche. I'm curious why you why you called it that. Before, let's cheers. Cheers. Hey, cheers guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, this is so long in the making. You know, I've been wanting to get you guys. And I didn't even know when I was going to get you guys. It would be together. But I know I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, Brad. I know I've been wanting to talk to you, Connor. So, man, to have this go down like this right now, right here. Uh, thank you, guys, because I know it's it's a busy time. And Connor's place. Uh, wow. look at What do you think of this, Brad? It's so killer, man. He like, did pretty good, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, Dude. this view, like, behind Connor, look, see Badger's house from yeah. from the top over here. Well, that's where sick. I first met you, Connor. It was, it was the Court Dork show with Eric. Yeah, we, that was, man, 2012, probably? Yeah. 2012, 2013, uh, back when I was at Booker. And Eric just said, hey, we're going to sit down and drink with these guys and be on a radio show. And I said, Sounds good. Yeah. Well, the crew must have been so small then. It was. I feel it, like that was back in the day. It was me, Eric, and Chelsea, pretty much. Wow. Isn't that crazy to see what a brand can do? And what is that? Dude, especially, I mean, we talked to him after the acquisition. He's been on this podcast twice and obviously always a great conversation. And Oh, yeah. Just so much personality and heart and everything that he's about. Well, I uh, can't believe it because I went over there like back in the day. And when you're saying like 12, 13, 14, it was the one barn with the tasting room right there and it was like most everything was always sold out and to see the cave there now and look out this window and see that it's inspiring to be a young winemaker and see something like that happen so quick you know or not quick but no, it's quick right. to it's quick to onlookers but it's- yeah and, and both of your stories have a lot of um really cool aspects i can't wait to touch into but this is not the most typical way that someone can do what you've done as a younger winemaker i mean a lot of them it's like sourcing fruit this and that but we have literally a, a modern beautiful tasting room and hospitality center a winemaking facility right i mean your sandwich between two brands that are just awesome yeah, I mean, it, it was something that was a ton of fun to be a part of it at Booker. I was the assistant winemaker and vineyard manager there for six years, but Eric instilled a lot of passion in me. And uh, when this property came up for sale in later 2012, he looked at me and said, if there's any way that you can figure this out, jump on it because you know what the soil can do, you know what the fruit can do. Um, so since 2012, I've developed the vineyard and then met my wife, Rebecca, in uh, 2000, late 2012, but really started dating seriously in 2013, got married in 2016. So we've been doing this together for a long time, but we've brought the vineyard from 15 acres to 45, uh, broke ground for the winery in 2017 and finished in perfect timing, January of 2020. You're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what timing, huh? Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. We opened Valentine's weekend for uh, tastings and closed two weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, that's a, tr- that's a trip, man. I know. I didn't know that. Yeah. A lot of new grays came in the beard after that. Yeah. That was Gray a weird section. time. And then what do you do? You're like, we're just, we're so brand new. Is it even worth, I mean, what, what did you think then? Well, um, I didn't know what to think. I really lost a lot of sleep. But fortunately, with our first vintage being 2016, we had been selling wine under the full draw label since 2018. And we had gained some great wine club members that were very supportive. And Becca, my wife, was exceptionally smart in the sense of saying... We, if we can't go to people, let's, or if we don't have people that come to us, let's go to people. And she said, let's just fill up sample tubes. But she went a step past that. And we really did that in April of that year. We started doing it 
But we said, when you come to Paso, you go to two or three wineries a day. So we actually partnered up with J. Ducey and Delecta and sent out Paso sample packs. So you could do a Zoom with the winemaker, but taste three different wineries in one pack. And so you say, okay, well, it's not just Full Draws Wines because we're already a member. We actually get to see some wines from other people. We get to go to Paso. Exactly. Through Zoom. It, it was fantastic. It was so interesting you say that because that time to me, I'm also wondering, how am I going to pivot with this? How is what we're doing, advertising revenue and uh, radio is what it was. And it was just a weird time. And getting virtual and hosting winemakers and having conversations and doing things like that, it was big. People Mm -hmm. were down to do it because they were just as wanting to get out there as you and I, for what I do, wanted to connect with them. Right. Pretty special. It was fantastic. Yeah. So it worked out good. Did you do okay in 20 and 21? I mean, it was a record sales year because we hadn't had one before. I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way to look at it. Brett from Levo. So before we get into Brett, talk about this Grenache Blanc bamboo. So bamboo. Uh, for anyone that has either been here or will come here in the future, we actually do some very interesting... Actually, Brett and I do very interesting labels. So we use artwork as labels. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Then I'll talk about the wine. But uh, I had a mentor just with fly fishing, but it was also a, a life mentor too. And I met him when I was, man, 13 or 14 years old out in a uh, small town in Colorado. And, uh, he owned a fly fishing shop and just kind of saw himself, uh, in his younger years in me. And so we actually went fishing together and that crafted about a 20 year relationship, but his artwork and what he was known for was actually hand making bamboo fly rods. But when I turned 21, he said, hey, if you want to go fishing with me, you need to bring white wine. Let's get serious. Our fishing stories will be better. Uh, the fish will be bigger, even if you know they're not. Yeah. Uh, so when Becca and I were making uh, white wine for the first time in 2018, I really wanted to keep something personal to that relationship that I had with Roy. So we actually put pictures of the bamboo fly rod on the label. But to get into the wine, uh, 91% Grenache Blanc, 9% Claret Blanche. Uh, the Grenache Blanc done in concrete, fermented and aged. The Claret Blanche fermented and aged in about 70% new French oak. So you get a little bit contrasting wines that blend well together. But this wine is very acidic, very bright and floral. So it's our summer white. Concrete. Isn't concrete so dope? It's it's fantastic. Yeah. We don't use a ton of it. But for the Grenache Blanc, we really wanted to capture that minerality. And I think that the concrete has helped us do that. It does that, huh? How many vessels you got? One. Yeah, that's why you don't do very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Want to get some more in here? Yeah, wow. I don't know. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, we're still growing, and uh... let's work on the tasting room yeah, first, yeah. Adam. <laughs> exactly. But I love so, and it's interesting. Let's say we were to switch those programs and put the concrete on the claret, and maybe the oak on Grenache Blanc. Totally different wine at that point. Yeah. So this one, it's just like the wood here. Boom, does your thing. It's only nine percent. Yep. Mixes so well with this. That's pretty cool, Brett. What do you think of this wine? It's killer. I mean, I I feel like me and Connor have very similar palates, which is why I was super excited about this podcast because me and him, we, we typically pick similar and Connor's nice enough to let me get some fruit from him. And I feel like we're always on the early side and I love, like, I really like acidity in my wines and like varietal correctness, but I love this wine because it's so like precise. It's so fresh and that chalkiness from connor's soil is like really showcased in this like we 
what's cool about my brand is like we get fruit from all over the central coast, but this vineyard has like that mineral note, like no, like, like Santa Barbara has some more cooler climate, like attributes, but this vineyard has like some serious minerality, but you get this in that wine. It's, it's killer. That's another aspect of you, Connor, the, the fruit, the people that are lucky enough to get some fruit. We got some great, we're in some great space here. And we know, like you mentioned, Eric telling you, you know, the soil can perform here. How helpful has that been to helping things come along? It's been monumental. I mean, really, and I'm blessed to have not just me, but everybody in Paso is blessed to have either the mentors that we do or the people that have done it for a long time. Everybody's open with information. It's not a competition. Paso is such a great community and especially the wine industry, very tight knit. I mean, really at the end of the day, you want to say that rising tides lift all ships. And I think that that has been something that I use as a talking point to people that I see out all over the country. When I talk about Paso, I say, come here and you may not love my wine, but there's 300 other wineries here that you're going to find something you're going to love. And downtown's amazing, but it's taking a step back and going back to the vineyard. I mean, between Eric and Scott Holly and Stefano Seo, because we're all right here, they were giving advice on what to plant, what root stocks to use, what to look for. And so I had a couple amazing people to give me some guidance. And I think that that has been huge. Yeah. What about mentors for you, Brett? Oh man. I mean, kind of the same as I would, I know I'm thirsty. Thank you. (laughs) Stuff goes down way too, way too easy. It's beautiful. Well, I mean there, I have a ton of mentors, but I would say like for Paso in general, like Eric Jensen's been really big for me. Like, so I saw Joel at the, my favorite neighbor and Jenny, uh, Bravo. Uh, I saw them at the, uh, MFN party. And, and Booker is so cool because like, or MFM, because they were like, we're going to bring two young winemakers or three, uh, to my favorite neighbor, uh, tasting. It was me and Riley Hubba. And that's how I actually got this opportunity on the, the podcast too. So like a guy like that, who has that kind of like reach and that kind of following is highlighting a small producer like me and like Riley, it's kind of like the spirit of Paso. It really is. And, and that's cool. And that's rare. Like you wouldn't go to Napa and see some flagship, huge, you know, winery that has a ton of critical acclaim and be like, Oh, let me bring like, you know, this young buck in here and have him pour his wine in front of my fault. Like the people who follow me. Um, so I think that like, but yeah, guys like Eric Jensen and I mean, really everyone, I mean, if I have a problem in the cellar, like I'll go talk to like, you can be super upfront about what your problems you're having and everyone's willing to help. Yeah. And that, that makes it cool, especially for, you know, younger winemakers like me and Connor. So it's pretty sick. Let's talk about your, your story and how it started. I love how we, we got into Tin City and really what Tin City did for your brand mm-hmm. and what you attribute Tin City doing for the brand is, is pretty special. But how did we get going? Yeah. So, um, my brand started in 2011 and I was pruning vineyards in Santa Barbara and uh, I was on a like little vineyard pruning crew with my roommates and we'd drive out to the valley and and spend all day in the vineyard uh, and we worked for a vineyard management company so for me it was like started in the vineyard and then naturally you're around all these killer wines and vineyards and stuff and you're like oh, dude i want to make my own wine so it started really organically i made four barrels of wine in 2012 of syrah and turned out not very good. Um, but, uh, but, um, 
but it was my first shot and um and since then we've just kind of like slowly been refining our vineyard sourcing um looking for better vineyards i've been learning a lot in the cellar and just kind of like uh, building the brand up. And then, um, I was up here drinking a beer with my buddy at barrel house in 2014. And I saw Guillaume driving around a forklift with like barrels on the front. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy? I'm like, what is he doing? And I was like, there must be wineries in here. And I, I walked down, I see like Torin, I saw Desperata. I saw like the makings of Tin City and I was like, I have to be a part of this. And so I just bugged the shit out of Mike English, uh, our, our landlord. And I was just like, I need to be, I need to be part of this. And I, and, and he finally found me a space and that really helped us. Um, the tasting room changed the game. Big you know, time. it's so interesting because where you are at at Tin City, I remember like the very, very beginning when there was no one there. And even when you were added in the mix, there was not a lot of people there. But I remember it was like a custom crush facility or something else, right? Yeah, before me, it was a custom crush facility. But it wasn't it was like, there long. It wasn't there long. Right. And, then, and then, yeah, and then we moved in. And it was kind of like... When people came in to taste, I'd be like, "How did you find us?" Like, yeah, I was like, like I, I was surprised when people would come in. Now it's, oh, it's, it's really busy. What? When did you know that? Like, okay, Tin City is going to be on its own level. There's something here. I knew it right away. Did you? Right when I saw like Scott Hawley and Desperata, and I saw Guillaume in there, I was like, "This is because." It's just like the funk zone in Santa Barbara. You need that recipe. You need like a brewery, the 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 food, and especially for a young brand like me, I didn't have the horsepower to pull people to my tasting room. So to have like people go taste it close to land and then filter off to my place or go to Wine Shine. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or go to Wine Shine. It's like you know, once you're there, you're kind of cruising, and so to have that overflow of Torin or close Len or these really great brands like right next to you really catapulted us into a great spot. And it came at a really pivotal time too, because you were getting a point with the brand where, you know, that DTC wasn't where you either wanted or needed it to be. And it was almost like, we, we got to do this or we got to, we got to throw in the towel. Like something's oh, yeah. got to change here. Yeah. What would have had to change is go wholesale, but as Connor knows, and all winemakers know wholesale, it's really about price point unless you have the critical claim and this, the horsepower to kind of push your wines. And so, um, and I, or you cheapen your, you cheapen your product. So you Which can, you didn't want to do. I didn't want to compromise. I wanted to were getting good fruit and getting, yeah, good barrels, good fruit. And I was like, I never want to like compromise there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the taste room allows you to do that. It allows you to get full price for your wine. So you can go out and pay the growers like Connor top dollar to farm the grapefruit. And that was our business model. Um, the wholesale thing kind of comes later, I think, but, um, at least for us, but, um, uh, but yeah. Is that when you notice a real change in the, your DTC game? Oh yeah. And then the wine club is huge. I mean, what Connor said about the, the pandemic, uh, was totally right. Our wine club members pulled us through that. Like, it was awesome. Like, you know, without our wine club, we would have been so, so done. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was driving up here and I was talking to Jim from Fly With Wine. These are the folks that put these, these that uh, thing is sweet, by suitcases the way. together. They're wine club members of yours. And they were like, oh my God, you got to go tell Brett hi. And yeah, these things are dope. These things are incredible. Now I keep my equipment in them. It keeps them safe. And then at the I'm end, like if there's some extra wine, look at the other side. That thing can hold a case of wine. Connor was raving about it too. How many bottles can you guys stick in that it's, thing? It's 12. Is it 12? It is. Nice. That's so you got one too? I've got three. Dude, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
it's our GM Gary uh, Irvin. Yeah, how's Gary doing? Cool. Gary's great. Awesome. He's been with us since 2020, and nice. I, I love him. And we've been friends for a long time. But it was great adding him to the team. And then Marcel Velasco, our seller master, has just been a, a genius and godsend for us. I mean, with the amount of travel that Gary and I do off site it was important to have someone here that we completely trusted with the wines and to keep everything in order. Marcel's so you're literally taking these on the road with you, these fly with wine all, cases? All the time. Oh my God. So usually we'll ship wine ahead of time, but you never know if you're bringing enough. So I always have at least a six pack with me and then put my clothes in the other side because yeah. you can remove the right. foam. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'll just take a backpack on the plane and check that and it's perfect. I know. That's, and you can kick that thing down some stairs. It's <laughs> the great thing is going to happen. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it know. does good with uh, podcasting stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I got my roadcaster in one side. I put the headsets all in the other side, and then I still have like two spots if like a bottle comes my way, like I'm at an event or something like that. So it's yeah, so thing, rad. It's and so then cool. I saw your like it, it has like some little plaque on there. Yeah, it's here. got the Where Wine Takes You logo on. Isn't that cool? I love that. It's super professional. Yeah, it's yeah, it makes me look like I know what I'm doing for a second. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, thanks. Fly with wine. So. Um, um, art is a really big thing on both of your brands and expressing a lot more than just, hey, the wine in the bottle, even the story behind the bottle. But this art really draws. I mean, it's very, you know, it evokes a lot in both of you. Yeah, I think it's so important to have artwork on your labels. I mean, if you if it's your thing and I've always been really drawn to art, like it's funny as you get older, like you kind of like look back on when you were younger and you, you start to realize things about yourself that you maybe didn't realize at the time. But like I was on the football team, I played ice hockey and artwork was not really that cool in my, in my, you know, uh, group. But I remember vividly like being in art class and being like, dude, like those hours would fly by and like creative writing and all that. So when I started the winery, I was like, I want to just kind of like explore that. And so I look at it like food, you know, it's like when you go to a great restaurant, the food's great, but what they, the plate they put it on, the way they present it, it's all kind of like a expression. And when you put it all together and the ambiance is right and the label's right and the wine tastes good, it's really kind of personal. It's and, all part and of the package. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you get a killer record from a band you really like and you open it and it's got like all the cool design, you know, and stuff inside of it. So I thought it was kind of a personal way to do it. But uh, I know, you know, with Con- Connor's always done it too. And, and it's interesting because cool. it, it goes deeper than sales. Like, you know, if you're in like the big distro world and you want your wine on shelves and say Albertsons and wherever, you're thinking a whole different mindset as far as like labels and catching eyes and stuff. You guys have a really unique, Connor, an opportunity to just kind of like, it's a whole other expression of you, really. Exactly. And when Becca and I started talking about what we were going to do for labels, uh, we always kind of knew we wanted to do artwork, but we weren't really sure how we were going to do that. And then all of a sudden, traveling, spending time together, we would point out pieces of artwork wherever we were going. We go, oh, this reminds me of this or this experience with each other. And so every label has its own story behind it. And just to your point, these aren't intended to be on shelves of Albertsons or Safeway or whatever it is. Right, right. Because we want to have that one-on-one personal connection with the customer or the person coming to taste. And we talk more about the labels than we do about the wine because if you've been to wine country, you know what wines you like and what you don't. We don't need to tell you that it tastes like wet grass or fresh-cut garden hose. 
that's Gary Irvin's words, not mine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's from Psalm. That's a great one. Fresh Cut Garnos is a great one. Uh, that's but, one of my favorites. <laughs> but I, I don't want to talk about what you're tasting in the wine. I want to talk about my life experiences. And then all of a sudden you're making that connection with someone and they say, oh, well, we love airplanes or we love dogs that are hunting dogs or whatever it is. And you make that one-on-one connection. And it wasn't intended to make it as a sales point, but it almost gives someone an informal introduction to myself and to my wife without having us there. And, and so we thought that that was a really cool way to uh, talk about it. That's so cool. I love that. I remember talking to Justin Smith at Saxon about the idea when your wine gets to a certain place where you could be so open and expressive with your labels like one of them he gave it to his kids to draw you know right. and, and you can do that because you know people want to see and appreciate this vision and that label that face to the bottle is in and of itself another vision isn't it oh yeah for sure I think it's I think it's like the more vulnerable you're willing to be the more your customer is going to see you and when they can do that like there's so much wine on the shelf it's overwhelming like and so the more you can like define yourself or express yourself or your project through your label, like it's a great tool. And now, I mean, with our brand, it's like people look forward to getting the lines and they're like, I don't even know what they're going to look like. Um, it's a whole and, other and so, aspect that they're looking forward to. Yeah, it is like they're, they, they buy it, they know the name, but we never show the the label. So when they open it, I want it to be like Christmas morning, like, you know, you're like, oh, what's this going to be like? Yeah. You know, and it's fun to create that for your for your customer, uh, for some, you know, for them to look forward to. You know, think of one of the OGs and how many people go home with a big star. That's a mirror, and it's that Tobin James thing. Get it in the tasting room, all different sizes. Have you ever thought of like people like, dude, somebody might want to print Connor of this you know, in some big format on their wall. I mean, have people approached you with some of your pieces and said, Hey, how can we get a print of this? We've not only had people ask for the print, but the actual piece of artwork, which is not for sale. That's, that's an heirloom for us, especially with honey bunny, uh, because there's such a story around my family and grandfather. That was the bottle I just picked up. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but yeah, we've had people ask for prints. We're talking about doing some t-shirts, oh, there you things go. like that. But for wine club members only where they can get it in a shipment or something like that. Almost kind of exclusive. Like the whole like NFT thing. Yeah. Where, like if you're a board exactly. eight member, you get it, some cool. Exactly. You know. Because we don't want to just, I don't want to sell swag. I, I want to first and foremost, even outside of the labels, focus on the wine. That's, that's my passion and my love. I want to focus on showcasing what's in the bottle and adding something cool to the outside is just kind of icing on the cake. What do you think? You uh, do some prints of these things or what? We do. So like we go kind of crazy. So I have these blown up in our taste room, like 54 by 54. Nice. Yeah. And we get like every single time the new release. That's Instagram porn right there. It is. People (laughs) must love to do pictures by it. Right. They do. And I get in trouble all the time at the winery because the girls are like, Brett, use your Instagram. I'm like, I don't know how to use this thing. So, but like, I also am so, I don't want to pass off Instagram because I also feel like, you know, you kind of got to keep it real and keep it, you can kind of dilute, dilute your brand if you, you know, I mean, hand it off. So I try to keep it uh, kind of tight, but like, yeah, but uh, back to the artwork. Yeah, we do huge prints. And so I, I went and just picked them up the other day and we're going to hang them up and stuff. And nice. Pretty cool. Yeah. Before we get into this first wine of Brett's, I want to um, do one quick question about the artwork on the bamboo and what fly fishing 
I don't know how many fly fishermen or women are listening to this, but what did Roy teach you about? How has he made you a better fly fisherman? Man, uh, well, he really taught me everything that I know about fly fishing, and then I've got a lot of family that loves to do it. But his thing was just kind of disconnecting from everything else that's going on and enjoying the, the little bit of time that you're able to spend on the river, in nature, no phone, and then using a bamboo fly rod that was reclaimed bamboo from the 1920s that he handcrafted into a fly rod. Um, because we were, we were always fishing in that setting on small technical streams and, for trout. And it was just about appreciating what you were doing. Are you casting out a lot, bringing in cat? Is it like a, a lot of rapid it's a, it's cast? A, it's a very active form of fly yeah. fishing. And you're standing in the moving li- river. Exactly. And then when do you ever get, and you got like these big ass pants that you bring yeah. all the way up, like where my dad wears his sweats, God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Opa. But like you're wearing them right up like five inches above yeah. your belly button, right? And then have you ever been in like something like, I don't know, like the Kern or somewhere it's moving a little hot and you're like, oh damn, like oh, this I, is going to blow me over. Oh, this is gonna, I've, like, I've gone down river. Oh really? Oh yeah. Well, in my younger years, I wasn't so smart. Uh, not that I'm smarter now. I'm just a little wiser. Sure. Uh, but trying to cross a river with a couple of buddies, and we were holding on to one another. And the kid in the front, his foot slipped, and all three Ooh. of us ended up 100 yards down the river. And fortunately, we had all of our gear and all of our limbs. So we, yeah. it was a fun little story to tell. What are you bringing in? Uh, just small rainbow trout. And it's very technical in the sense that it's called spot fishing so you're actually looking for the fish that you want to cast to stop it oh yeah in the clear water oh yeah you'll find a fish it's unbelievable and so you're trying to trick that fish into eating your fly and so i've stood in the water casting the one fish for two hours going through my fly box trying to change the flies out and figure out what what is he just poking around is this like He's the, just looking the, the for something to eat. He, he either wants a salad or he wants meatballs and uh, spaghetti. And so you're just trying to figure out what he So he's not really eat. going upstream or anything. He's just in that Sitting little in neck of the... Spot. Okay, yeah. okay. And, so and then it, you're just like, okay, plan I'm B, gonna plan C. I'm gonna, yeah, exactly. Oh, and my it's, gosh. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. No way. Yeah. I just learned a lot about fly yeah. fishing there. That was so cool. This white wine, this next one, uh, it's from uh, Brett Ernest at Levo. What do we got here, my man? So it's actually so fun that... Connor poured that bamboo first because this is so similar. It's uh, Grenache Blanc. There's a little bit of, actually a lot. There's 36% Petite Mansang in this. Oh, wow. And then there's uh, 14% Claret. Um, and it was actually really funny. So my buddy, Mike Testa, you might've met him at Coastal Vineyard Carry, but he's a farmer down in Santa Barbara. And like two years ago, he hit me up and he was like, what would be like just a, a rad varietal to plant kind of under the radar something fun. And I was like, you should plant petite mansang. Cause like they just planted it in Bordeaux and I thought it'd be kind of cool to experiment with. And then I forgot about it. And then he called me like last year before harvest. He's like, dude, you're petite mansang. You remember that? And I was like, Oh shit. It's like, I forgot about that. And so we brought it in. It was 28 bricks, two, eight pH ripping acidity. And we co-pressed it with Grenache Blanc and Claret into a concrete egg. So I thought this was super fun to taste these side by side because both concrete, both big amount of Grenache Blanc. But for me, I love, and I'm sure Connor does too, because he has this freaking sick thing is Chablis back here, but I love Chablis. Yeah. Um, obviously this is Grenache Blanc, but I like that flavor profile, like citrus and Flint and like minerality. And so I'm always trying to find Rhone varietals that kind of like highlight that because Roussan and Viennier, they're great, but they're so rich. So for me, I love having like the energy that Grenache Blanc can bring and then highlighting that in concrete does a good job of like kind of 
highlighting that. When someone hears like petite men saying, am I even saying that right? You did. What what is this varietal normally bring? Like, what can we expect from it? I mean, it's it's very like I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. So this is kind of an experimental wine for us. But it's imagine 15 percent alcohol or 16 even with the acidity of champagne. So it's ripping acidity, but also tons of booze. So I think this year. Last year, I learned a lot. It's very hard to make it go dry. So I think this year, we're going to co-press it with some Roussan. Pick Ooh. it at the same time. Because the Roussan's low bricks, body, high though. pH. Yeah. And then and I'm gonna, and then throw them into some punchins and barrel cool. ferment them. And then fill the concrete egg with, concrete, or with uh, Grenache Blanc. So it's experimental, but I like it. And it's like being a chef. Like, you you know, when you go shop at the farmer's market, you're like, ah, this is what's in season. Like, let me see if I can go home and make it taste good. Yeah. And so... It's- it's tough though because you you might make a wine that is so great then two years later or however long later white maybe a little bit less you're tasting it it's this and that then maybe it gets to you know let's say you're lucky enough to get some good, some good press on it yeah but then you might have already i remember talking to justin about one of his programs where he got like the 100 pointer he's like well i've already switched my program up on that wine i don't know if i'm gonna go back so i mean obviously he doesn't have an issue with that but you think of like a singer who has a number one song it's just how can we recreate that magic again yeah but with your program you might have switched it up already well, and that's the thing with all, all this winemaking. I mean, you get so deep into it that by the time the wines actually are released, I'm sure Connor knows this too. It's like you're into something. And by the time those wines come out two years later, you're on a completely different planet already because you've had different wines that inspire you and you know, you're going to different Coopers and it's like so hard to keep up with trends because you know, they change so quick and and you're and so I just kind of make what I like. And if I'm in the cellar and I'm like, Oh dude, I want to drink a bottle of this. Then I'm like, Let's bottle it. That's what James you know. Suckling said. Really? If, I know a great wine, and I interviewed him for the first time. I listened. That was Jerome. a great interview. Well, was funny. He's cool. He was really cool. Did you hear the next week? Because he reviewed my Montito, my peak pool. So I was waiting. I didn't listen to that yet, but he, I remember he said, I'll, he's like, I'll taste that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember you tasted it when it like just got bottled, and mm-hmm. I was almost embarrassed to give it to you. No, dude. So it's like, fun. And then he it was, a would, good wine. he was like, this is how you can tell that a wine is, is worth anything if you want to drink a whole bottle, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's not cool. You can make a wine and then be like, yeah, I'd like to drink a whole bottle of this wine I just made. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the measure. It's not how dark is it or, right. how, you know, it's like, do I want to go home with my wife and we're going to have a really tough time putting this away. That's really fun. When you have a bottle of wine and you're like, 100%. I cannot stop drinking this. Yeah. Like, how do you recreate that? That's what, and as long as I'm doing that, like then I, then, um, then I'm, I'm happy. You know, Connor, there's a part of it where you're like that analogy with the singer. Yes. Let's try and recreate something that I know my fans, my wine club members already liked that I've done. But then a part of that relationship that they have with you is just liking your vision of what you turn grapes into. So how do you kind of balance like, God, I wish I could control C, control V that, you know, copy paste that baby. But then it's getting like, no, maybe I'm in a different place than I was two years and ago. And not only that, but you're talking different vintages, different weather, different growing seasons. And so not everything's going to turn out the same, which would, to me would be kind of boring. Right. I really like having the blending capability of every year and every season of saying, okay, we rarely have the same blends except for 100% varietal wines. And so our, our blends fluctuate and it, just certain varieties give you different nuances every year and people trust our winemaking style and our and have faith in us to to be able to 
put something in their in their hands that they're going to enjoy. Let's get into that. Uh, we should try that honey bunny. Yeah, oh, let's get I, would, into I love that label. I by would the do, way, I would do hard point first. Honey bunny. Hard- <laughs> oh, you got some that's, hard point. Yeah, yeah I've got nice. uh, 20, 2018 hard point, which is 100% Grenache, and Grenache is the variety that led me into wine. Tell me what was your aha Grenache? Uh, th- it's a long story, but. Uh, I had to get staples in the top of my head, and I grew up in Fairfield, Iowa. Small oh my town. god! <laughs> so Idaho and Iowa. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. two eyes. Damn. And Do people still so from like think you're from Idaho or Ohio? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people always think I'm from Iowa. Yeah, I'm from like cornrows to grape rows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, look at that. So you you got hurt? Somehow. Yeah, I got I got hurt. I dropped a pipe on my head. Oh and, man! Uh, fortunately for me, it was a Sunday, and our general practitioner happened to be a very close family friend. So I called him and said, "Hey." I got to staples. I was probably 19 or 20. Oh, man. So you go into shock and like... Oh, it knocked me out. And then when I woke up, a friend came and got me. And I just said, he's like, let's go to the hospital. I go, no, no, no. Go, go to my parents' house. I already got it worked out. So I walk in. Dr. Griner's sitting there in the kitchen with my dad. And they're both laughing at me. And I've got you know blood on the side of my head. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. I'm not giving you any painkillers for this one. I'm going to make it worth it. And I go, oh, great. <laughs> So payment to him was being able to pull a, a bottle of wine out of my dad's cellar, and it happened to be a 1989 Bocastel. And I didn't know if it was the concussion, the head wound, or whatever it was, but I had a sip of it, and I go, I get it. I, I understand why you guys drink wine. And they said, what is your concept of that? I said, it's for the flavor and the taste. And they said, why else would we be drinking wine? I'm like, well, obviously for the after effect. And then like, we're not a teenager in Iowa drinking Bushlight and Jack Daniels. Right. And so that was really what led me into the wine industry. And I started researching it a lot at a very young age. This all with a head wound. With a head wound. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And what's interesting is both of your dads loved wine. Oh yeah. Right. And they both had their own respect and collection and their, and and something where you were both blessed with the ability to maybe taste things early on and get familiar. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, my dad was uh, like a wine drinker. He wasn't much of a wine collector. Like, so my dad was drinking like, 20 to $40, $50 bottles, but like they'd be at the table. And actually when I was first growing up, we didn't have any wine at the table. And then my dad went on a business trip to Napa and he just like, was like, uh, went from zero to 100. (laughs) And, um, and that was when I was probably 16, 17 was when we first had like started to have wine on the table. And then he just was like, he loved it cause he loves food. And so then I started seeing like Herman story pop up on our table or McPrice Myers. I mean, that's the kind of stuff he was drinking. It wasn't like super. And, and now he's, now he's pretty deep, you know, now he really likes wine and he's But, but back then it was like, and, and those wines were, they, he was more of like, I'm going to buy this to drink it. And, um, and so that's how like I found, most people that, do, yeah. that's how I found right. Paso. Like one of my first tastings I ever went to is La Ventura with my dad. And, um, I was like 23 and we went in there. It was in that old barn and the wines were like 62 bucks. And, um, I was like, this is so good. And that was one of my first memories of drinking wine with my dad. So but, interesting. Yeah. It's kind of fun to have it like yeah. to share that with your family, you know? <clears throat> So, Connor, what was – that's got to be interesting because your dad's got this, you know, pretty incredible collection, and you're going down there and pulling up this Bocastel. When you start making wine, how cool of a moment was that to share wine with your father that you have made that he can be like, oh, my God, my son, great work. You know what I mean? <laughs> he said as long as he gets it for free, he'll drink it. <laughs> uh, no, that was really cool. And not only my, my dad, but uh, a lot of my family, we – grew up in a small town in Iowa, if you wanted good food or good wine, you had to go somewhere else. Or 
you had to cook. So, I mean, they brought wine in from wherever they were traveling, but... Uh, yeah, but making your family proud is one thing. Like, I remember the feeling I got being super close with my mom, making her proud, and I, and I miss her, and I love that. But when we make, as men, make our dad proud for whatever reason, there's something very special about that. Uh, yeah, I, I, and I don't know if it was really in the winemaking side that I wanted to make him proud. I mean, sure. That was a part of it, but uh, he, he was a very good teacher, and instilled a lot of great values in my brother, sister, and I. And so I think it was a better moment for me to hear them say, man, you guys are raising a great family. Your kids are awesome. You guys are doing well. Of course. Proud of, Good for proud you. of you for that. Yeah. The winemaking side of it, that's as much as I do love that family to me is first and foremost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's all fun. He's still around? Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I'm actually going to be with him in a couple of days, but nice. uh, we talk on the phone a lot and, uh, with all, all my family, but uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, is he a big texter? Uh, no. Yeah, um, my dad texts like one word. Does he? <laughs> it's like okay, yes. Or the like for up. like the past ten years, it's been like no, yes. Now tell me what this was like because you have an interesting dynamic where your dad was also I don't know if he still is, but was a business partner with you, right? Oh, he yeah. I mean, so obviously we we love to make these beautiful wines and have him appreciate them for that notable reason I just mentioned. But there's also some other dynamics in it for you too, isn't there, Brett? Oh yeah, man. I mean, what happened with me is I went to Santa Barbara City College and. I was playing football. I wanted to go to Cal Poly, do the viticulture program and all that. And I just, I was a terrible student. I had like 2.7 GPA. I did not like school. It's not for everybody. It's not like I liked classes. I really enjoyed, you know, university when I was like in a class I, I liked, but long story short, I couldn't transfer out. I was playing football. My dad's like, my mom and dad are like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to make wine in there. You good at football? I was bench warmer, but, but no, you were, I, obviously you made the team. So yeah, I was on, I was on the team. I played slot receiver. I, I went in for like when we were blocking. So like if I, I would go like pull and like, sure, like the outside linebackers, I would like block them or like do little, you know, outs like 10 yard outs and catch yeah, yeah, the yeah. ball. But I wasn't like the speed demon you guy. Like I was kind of like, rice of the thing. Yeah. So I would go out for good. like certain plays and stuff, but I wasn't like, I wasn't like out there every play, but my mom and dad were like, you know, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to make wine, but I can't get into any of these schools. And my dad's like, well, like we've saved up your whole life. He's like, why don't we just try and make some wine? Like, and I was like, that's a good idea. And so we did it like that. So it was like learned by doing literally, you know, it was, Hey, we saved this. Let's go see what you can do and, and see if you can learn how to make wine. And so, yeah, it's been kind of like a fun, a fun thing to do together. Yeah. And it's really fun to do it with your, with your family, because I think a wine is a multi-generational thing. Like I would love to have an estate. Well, we just planted an estate in May of 2020 and I'd love to pass it on to my kids someday or my brother's kids or my sister's or, or maybe just a young kid. But like, I think that it's multi-generational. You kind of have to have that vision when you're in this industry because it's so long. And it's so a very to share game. it with my yeah. dad and, and have it be established with my dad makes it that much more. And my, my mom and dad, it t- makes it that much more special because really it makes cool. me want to work harder. Like it makes me want to carry that on and pass it forward. You know, you can't deny there's the people like, you know, you look at like the Jordan Fiorentini's or the people who are the Amy Butler's or the people who we all know who went to got a great education. So they're fantastic winemakers. There's something brilliant to be said for them. But there are people who have done this hard knock learn by doing and are making just gorgeous wines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at it like I, I like to compare wine to food, but you look at food and it's like you can go learn from your grandma 
how to make like a family recipe and learn soulful cooking through yeah. your family, or you can go to culinary school and it's not going to make the food better or worse. It's just like a different way of learning. And in the past, uh, so you can lean on a lot of those people. Like there's yes. no doubt you could call someone up who, you know, may know, may know, I mean, so many people. Oh, like you Pete, guys are still Pete like, over a booker. Sure. He'll all, sure. I'll be like, Pete, what do I do? He's right. Like, I mean, he's like the mad scientist, uh-huh. you know, and there's a lot of guys like that. Jeremy Lefford over at tooth and nail. He'll, Another he'll help guy. me with technical problems all the time. So yeah, there's a lot of people to call and that can help. Yeah. Who do you call when things go weird? I'm sure they never go weird with you, but are there there people that you kind of like text or maybe because maybe neighbors, maybe just, I think that I've (laughs) unfortunately seen enough over the last 10 years to have learned of things of what not to do. Right. Um, but yeah, there's a handful of people here, a handful of people from Napa that I can lean on and just, it's more talking about historical things and what they've seen and what they've done in the past. But yeah, there's a handful of people. It's so interesting when you when you juxtapose. I mean, you see people from like Napa uh, coming down here. We had a conversation with Juan Mercado. You see a lot of some similarities. Obviously, we're very different. We'll never be in Napa. Napa has obviously you know had 20, 30 years, and they're doing just fine. Like they're doing fantastic. What are some of those things when you juxtapose the way Paso wine country is evolving, and even if you take into consideration the time that Napa has had above? What are some things that you see? And because you're, you're very tight with a lot of people up there and you, you just got back from spending a few days up there to what they're doing in this current state and what we're up to right now? That's a great question. Um, when you really step back and talk to the winemakers of the industry there, their goal and their vision is very similar to ours. Now, if you're talking about a region in general, uh, there's a ton of differences. And I think that that's not talking bad about Napa whatsoever. I enjoy going up there. I enjoy going to the restaurants. But really, Paso is is a community. It doesn't matter if you go into a restaurant or to a winery. Chances are that you're going to see the owner operator on the floor or in the cellar. Yeah, there's Julian right there. Yeah, exactly. There's, uh, Carol and, and Carol, Santos. Uh, exactly. And, 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 and Laurent and Chris Heisma in Bloom on the floor every night. And so it's just... I haven't been to that place for eating oh, yet. Oh, man. Dude, <laughs> you like cocktails? Dude, stop it. Come do on. Do I like cocktails? Get over there. It's you know, so good, man. They do, the they food, do booze there? They do booze and... They're going to. Oh, they don't? Yeah, you're just talking in the future. No, is that a mocktail <laughs> I had? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a mocktail, exactly. <laughs> it was, car- it was <laughs> carrot juice, that, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. So I can't wait for that, that they're going to start doing that. They're going to start doing cocktails soon. But But I heard the food is fantastic. It's unbelievable. But it it just taking a step back and saying, again, beating that drum of of Paso being a community, it's so much fun to be a part of and seeing your friends in every restaurant. And uh, everybody just has so much love and care for what they're doing and their passion. And it's a it's a great thing to be a part of. Yeah. What do you think, Brett, when you see not only the way Tin City has evolved in the last several years, but uh, just the way Paso has I think that Paso is the hottest region in in in, you in know, wine in wine and for sure the United States. I mean, I think anywhere. I mean, you look at the especially Willow Creek where we're sit, or we're in Templeton Gap right now, right? I think or, I'm technically Willow Creek, okay. but I would. I always wanted to ask maybe you that. straddling it. Yeah, I think the the line is my. At border. Oh, wow. I mean, it's right here. You might be half and half. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But, like, okay, so I always look at this. Like, are the price points that Willow Creek and Templeton Gap are commanding, the wines are so distinctive. Like, because I've been so lucky over the past 10 years, I've been in, like, Santa Maria and, like, Santa Barbara, and I've been to Santa Rita Hills and Happy Canyon. I've worked with, like, so many cool vineyards, and I like them all. But, like, what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast is you come to this site – 
at Connor's place and it's like, you get that minerality and that like freshness and it's so distinctive. And so for my palate, it's, it just lines up so well. So I think we have, we're blessed with like great, you know, dirt first and foremost with great weather. And then we're all making Rhone varietals or Cabernet. I think I just was pouring our wines. These wines, I have all these wines open. Or Zin. Don't forget my girl, and Janelle. Zin. Yeah, <laughs> and, I love, and I love Zin. Of course. But like, you love Janelle. But like, I just went down and poured for Antonio Galoni at noon today in Santa Barbara. Oh, damn. And it was crazy to see the lineups of wines there because they're pouring Pinot and they're pouring Chardonnay, but then they're pouring Cabernet Franc and then they're pouring Rhones and then they're making natural wines and then they're making classic wines. And it's like... I think we have such definition in Paso. It's like we make GSMs and we make Syrah. We make these Rhone style wines and Cabernet. And like, I think that laser focus and laser focus and quality is like setting us apart like no other. And then our camaraderie and community, it's like... The camaraderie, the people, it's yeah. such a huge piece of the terroir, isn't it? It is. And it, it goes to the, the winemakers that are ahead of me and Connor. You know, it's like that idea of Eric invited me to pour my wines at his place. And that's what I hope I can do in the future. You know, if, if our projects continues to be successful, like pull the young guys up, maybe like me pouring Montito at your place. Yeah, dude, 100%. That, and I think if we can continue to promote that as a community, like we're going to be untouchable because we got that country, we got that country down home feel, but we're making really damn good wine. Paso still the Wild West. We're still a young region in the sense that you can carve out a niche. Uh, yeah, pour one of Brett's wines next. You can wow. carve out a niche for yourself, and you're gonna. That's the great thing is we have so many people coming through Paso that want to find something new and different and unique. That there's a place for everybody to do anything, here. Mm-hmm. and I think that's incredible. Yeah, it's really special. What are you pouring, my man? Okay, so this is super special because I wanted to pour this today because um, this is our first full draw. Uh, like, it's not 100% full draw, but I thought it'd be super fun to taste today because the majority of this wine comes from Connor's Vineyard here. Nice. Yeah, and I was, like, so pumped. Like, when he called me and was like, hey, I got a little Grenache. Uh, it's this north-facing block on the back. It's that head train. Mm-hmm. It's got, like, a little bit of Claret Blanche interplanted in uh-huh. it, and it actually be cool to kind of hear about that story because i don't know but i i go out there and like the first of all i can't even believe connor sells me fruit because the fruit is so damn good i'm like i would be so greedy i'd want to take all of it for myself because it's so in the last four or five months i've had different people talk to me about your fruit specifically that's interesting what's that back block like what happened with that claret was it was it purposeful when you when you planted that interplanted that no uh (laughs) there were two rows that that block we had taken cuttings from various vineyards here and we just ran out of plants and i said well i've got a little grenache or uh, excuse me claret blanche overage on the plants i said you know what throw it in there worst case scenario we uh grafted over back to grenache we get the roots in the ground get the plant up and graft it later but um i said you know what it'd be cool to see how this turns out when you co-ferment the two and I think almost like you would co-ferment like Viognier with Syrah exactly and uh, the person that took it the year before you did that and like this was incredible but was that up north the guy up north it, it was I was going to ask who it was too <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not a big name dropper so yeah. I'm not going to talk oh, about oh was it a big name uh, yeah. but anyway back to what I was okay, saying okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
no, it was Tor Kenward and his label Tor. Uh, they had a rock series um, of Rhone varieties that were different than their Cabernets that they were making. And after 2017, he didn't want to make Rhone varieties anymore. But we had known each other for uh, we've known each other for about 14 years. But Tor and Jeff Ames as winemaker making unreal wines. And then in 2017, he made the wine, they released it, and they had such a huge response to the wine that he called me in 19. He's like, hey, I need that fruit back. I said, I'm sorry, I don't have it anymore. But uh, got him back in the vineyard uh, with a little bit, so he started his, it's called Chasing Windmills, that they do all from full draw. So, full so he draw gave it to Brett and he wanted it back. Yeah. Ken <laughs> takes it back, I, I, bro. And I I'll, said, I'll be honest, like, I tell people, like... I tell my coworkers, I'm like, this Grenache is so good. If like I couldn't get, I would cry for sure. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, this is a beautiful it, wine. Thanks, man. And then it has some more ved uh, from one of these front blocks up here. Uh, it's head trained. That's where uh, that flavor profile and the finish comes in. Yeah. What so do that, you think of this? Good lord, Connor. What has he done to your vineyards? This is beautiful. It's fantastic. It's the acidity, and I think me and Connor do a really good job. I mean, I feel like me and you are kind of like it's. It, I like to highlight the freshness of this vineyard and the acidity. And I, I honestly, it sounds weird, but I kind of pretend like Grenache's Pinot sometimes. Like I like having that fresh acidity, and then playing with barrels and new oak for like that sweetness and the tension. And so this is all Stockinger, uh, six hundred liter Demi Mui. Um, there's like 50, I think 50% new oak on this. And then, um, and yeah, it's just freaking insane fruit, man. How much whole cluster? No whole cluster. I love it. Yeah. I'm a fat boy. I hardly, I like the fruit. I'm like, I don't, I like save. I I can drink savory wines, but for me at the winery, like when I'm making wine, I want the purity of the fruit. I love purity of fruit. I like freshness, acidity, varietal correctness, and just, I don't want to add water. I don't want to add, you know, I just want to kind of pick it at that. And, and I think in 2020 it was pretty i was pretty lucky like we didn't do that many ads that year especially i mean definitely not here but it was where'd you learn about desiring varietal correctness was this more just like your palate what you liked or were there people that you grew up you know being mentored by or learned from or idolized that that adopted that i i like going to wineries and tasting through a menu and every wine has like a really neat unique personality and i'm all about creativity and blends but when you do too much blending you end up with too much of a like everything starts to taste the same so for me i like I'm like, our Grenache is going to be elegant. I want it to be Grenache, you know I mean? So this is 75% Grenache and then the rest is more Ved and then some Graciano and Syrah in there. But I like that because we'll let the Syrah be big. We'll let the Petite be mm-hmm. even bigger. And, and I let every varietal kind of do its thing. But yeah, just from tasting and tasting at wineries where I love their wines, but I'm just like, everything kind of tastes the same to me right now. What does not a moss mean? So not a moss. So, I mean, for people who are listening in, like you probably won't, you won't be able to see the labels obviously, but I'll put um, pictures up. You, oh, thanks man. Yeah. I'm a post. Um, that would be good. It would kind of, so, so I, I always do our different labels every year. And this, I found uh, a big shoe box at this, um, my wife's a hat maker. So we go to these trunk shows she's and like stuff. She's the and she hat buy, maker. Yeah. She's the hat maker. And so she buys fabrics and stuff. And I was at this, um, out at the Alameda flea market and I found this big old shoe box full of like old retro, um, 
uh, movie shots from when they're making Westerns in the eighties. And I bought the whole thing. I was like, this is sick. Like guys jumping off of horses and his all old Polaroids. And, nice. And it was like in the middle of the pandemic. And I was like, really, it's cool. Cause the pandemic and everything gave you time to kind of think and stuff. And, and I just thought that image of the cowboy falling off the horse, I thought was so iconic and cool. And I feel like some, not a moss. It means no more. I thought like Americana is kind of fade, like a little bit fading, you know, like, I mean, I love like old muscle cars. I don't really like electric vehicles that much. And there's, you know, electric music, I like guitar and drums, you know, like I like, I like the old school like analog of, more than yeah digital, I so. do and I feel like I feel like everything's kind of going more digital sure and so for me I just felt like the cowboy is kind of like the character like he's kind of the, the essence of Americana and so him falling off his horse I thought was cool so it was just kind of that like idea of like you know I don't know get back to the roots like listen to you know music with real instruments right <laughs> or drive a car with actual you know like i don't know i like the smell of a 1969 mustang no, pulling up dude, it sounds the awesome sound is incredible i'm like yeah. that's like america and when you taste this grenache what are some of your thoughts connor well immediately I, I i was asking if there's any whole cluster in there because there's a different flavor profile that i'm used to but when he told me about the the cooper that he had in there that's probably where that that sweetness from the tannin is coming it's a little more reserved than my grenache which i love um i love both styles ours we want to find as much color as we can and density and structure but not going overboard we want to have a balance and everything and this is beautiful it's that's hard point right yeah exactly hard point yeah uh, but this is fantastic i really enjoy this beautiful Thanks, wine man. hey it makes it easy when you it's like cooking dinner when you go to the farmer's market it's mm-hmm. like you know those farmers are like here you go before we move on to the next wine and i think it's going to be from is it the honey bunny next or should we go to his red wine than yours it doesn't matter let's do um, honey bunny let's sure. do honey bunny but tell me the story because i'm looking we're in your office right now and i can see the uh, like the bronze of a dog and i know this dog was on the last wine we just had yep is this your dog uh so the bronze sculpture was from an art gallery up in bozeman montana my wife and i love to travel but go into local small mom and pop art galleries to get a sense of place. You see what the local artists are doing. And uh, I was moderately hung over that morning and we <laughs> were trying to walk it off. We walked into a gallery and saw that. Were you still sh- shampoo drunk, as they say? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit from the night before still? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But try to, try to walk it off. Yeah. But we were walking around the gallery and Becca yelled, said, hey, this looks exactly like our dog Yachty. And I go, man, this artwork idea is getting expensive. But <laughs> the great thing about wine is that's my currency and artists love to drink. Sure. So they said, when I tell them that I want to put their artwork on a bottle, they go, as long as I get wine, you just take the artwork. I love so it. So it's, it's been a, a great relationship and we keep those relationships ongoing. But Good for you. Um, yeah. So there's that. And then Honey Bunny, the next bottle that we'll get to... Um, is a painting of a P-40 Curtis, so a plane from the World War II era. Both my grandfathers having served, they were both... My mom's dad was nice enough to at least tell me about not necessarily his personal experience, but what was happening at that time because he didn't want to talk about 
anything. Neither did mine. But he was he was yeah. in the Pacific Theater on a small destroyer. He was on two separate boats that were sunk. And but one of the stories that he told me was about the flying tigers, which is what this piece of artwork is trying to capture and, and represent. And I wanted to put something that did two things. One, it connected us to that generation because we're starting to see I hate saying it, but the end of that that era. Well, the yeah. end of the greatest generation. Not a must. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, right. so the artwork was done by a guy in uh, Huntington Beach, and he got his acclaim for doing all the in and out retro car on the walls in In-N-Out Burger. So when I called nice. him and told him what I wanted to do, uh, he said, well, I want to taste the wine. And I said, why do you want to Talk about wine? an artist getting free wine. Yeah, 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 free yeah. double doubles. <laughs> oh, lie. Right? Sorry, uh, go ahead. But he said, I need to taste the wine because I'm not going to put my beautiful artwork on a piece of shit wine. Yeah. And I started laughing. And I said, we're going to get along great. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, had lunch. Becca, uh, Michael, and I had lunch together. Had a blast. He loved the wine. So he actually commissioned this piece of artwork so when people listening do come to full draw you'll see it hanging in the winery uh it's eight feet wide by four feet tall on aluminum so it's a very big statement uh piece but under the cockpit it says lieutenant john robert which are my grandfather's names and i uh, wanted to keep that personal to me and then honey bunny I asked my grandmother what her nickname was back then she said honey bunny so that's what we <laughs> named that's what we named the plane and named the artwork that was the greatest generation and i'm thankful that we call them that because we call them that for a reason we're lucky to live where we live and lucky that that generation totally. did what they did what i like most is that it came from connor's label and yeah. i think when you're around a table and you have a cool label like that allows the crew that's tasting like to look at Connor's label and be like and then we now we're talking about World War II and well, I love that that's the best and that's 100%. the thing about we're these not labels we're talking about the wine which is beautiful again yeah. that's what I what we talked about earlier I said listen we talk about the labels because that gets conversation going everybody's going to other wineries they're saying well this is 75% Syrah 25% Grenache and you get this yeah. I want to have a conversation so when we do tastings we sit down with you because we want to meet you we want to cool. know you and we want to have fun and make it an experience not just a tasting this really is a beautiful wine thank you it's yeah so is this straight 100% uh, Syrah no so this is 86% Syrah and 14% Morvedra I really enjoy incorporating the Morved into Syrah to kind of really tone down that massive dark flavor complex of Syrah yeah and the your, Morved, your Syrah is so dark here dude <laughs> it's disturbingly dark yeah but that being said, the Morved really brings in a different complexity, and every every decision that we make when we're blending, we're just trying to add a different layer of complexity because I think the more complex the wine is, the more you think about it and, and the more nuance that it has, and we Tell really me, like that. what is it the cool kids know about these kinds of wines? Like, what do you guys know that some others don't? Like, why does he taste these, or the Bookers, or the Saxons, or the Levos, or the, the Connors, or the, the whatever, and there's just like this smoothness, there's a sexiness to them. What is it going on with it? Is it the farming? Is it stuff in the cellar? What's going on I here? think Connor would probably speak more to it, because... Yeah, I mean, you're in the farming, which I'm... So when we planted the estate vineyard, like, my big thing was, like, I really want to dive into that deep because it's, like, any great... I keep saying, I keep talking about cooking, but I love food. But it's like, <laughs> oh, man, most of the best. Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm <laughs> hungry too. No, but like, um, a lot of the best chefs, you see them, and like, when they reach their pinnacle, they plant a garden. 
Um, and you know, the French laundry or like, I love Maddie Matheson. So like he just planted like this cool farm up in Canada. So I guess like I would talk to, cause I think the magic's in the fruit. Like when we taste that Grenache of mine last, that was your fruit. And so I don't know, like, I think it's in the, f- I think it's in the vineyard. Every winemaker can put their expression on the fruit Yeah, and they're going to put their thumbprint and leave their thumbprint on that wine. But I mean, it, it really helps to have good fruit and we really get technical on the farming. We don't cut any corners. We really want to put out, I want to give everybody the best fruit that I can. And if you're not taking it, I'm taking it. And so if I've been farming it differently for anybody else, then I'm not going to know what that is. And so really we, we try to lean on that as much as we can. Connor, have you ever had a wine from someone that made wine with your fruit? And you're like, no, listen, listen, I'm up here. I can't. I can't <laughs> let you go. I can't let you. <laughs> I can't let you pull full draw. Yeah. on that on that bottle. No. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know people. It's tight knit. But no, have you ever said honestly? Like, ah. Honestly, no. Um, we have. What would you do? Connor would tell you. That's the cool thing. <laughs> you probably would. Huh? Well, yeah, I probably would. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what would you say? We can like, like nicely you put it to him. Like, hey, I wish you maybe don't do the whole cluster next time. Or I don't know. What would you say? What no, would you- I would no. I don't think so. That's I, a I tough conversation. You know what? If they're happy with their product, then I mean, I, can't. I know. But in the end, like, well, are you letting people doing vineyard designate? Yeah. Uh, Nick Elliott does a vineyard designate. Um, who else? That's going to get hotter for you because as you get more popular and your right. vineyards get more popular, people are going to want to do that. Juan Mercado's buying fruit from us. Scott Hawley, Nick Elliott. But these are proven, proven. Brett. Proven, um, right. Yeah, good people. Three guys from up in Napa. Tor Kenward uh, with his label Tor. Patrice Breton with Vice Versa. Benoit Toquette, who makes the wines at Realm. But for yeah. his personal label, Fate Mon, he does a full draw vineyard designate. Cool. Russell From Herman Story. Nice. He's another one you talk about, like, when you get so into something, you start, like, planting things. I remember the, the, his place, we're neighbors. We live, like, not too far from each other. Oh, and slow? Uh-huh. Nice. And I remember when I first went to his place, he was renting at the time. They ended up buying his right. house. But he put, even as a renter, Russell and Valia put so much love and heart into that backyard uh-huh. and into the vegetables, and into the boxes, and into what they were doing. They're produce. pretty soulful people, you know. He was definitely one of the big inspirations for me because when you're young and, and coming up in the, in the industry, like, you got to kind of latch on to people that you kind of see doing it and it gives you kind of like a sense of like, I could do that, you know? And Russell was definitely for me, one of those guys, young guy, you know, kind of like made it happen. And I don't know. I, I think that they, they're so cool. And, you know, they were a big inspiration for me. My dad was drinking nuts and bolts in like nice. 2012, man. Is that right? Like, oh yeah. You have any crazy harvest nightmares yet that have happened? Like some tank being left open or something crazy going down or... I have a really crazy one. Oh, I can't wait Let's to hear, hear it. it. Do you have one, Connor? Not from full draw. <laughs> you, have a, you have a Booker one? <laughs> I, I, was, I was an intern in 2011, and Eric had said, hey, blend these two totes together. I said, what two totes? He goes, those two totes. And he just kind of swung his hand out there. It was very bad communication on my part because I didn't ask questions. But I started blending, uh, and he caught it as soon as I was doing it. But I was putting Petit Verdot in Grenache. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, sounds kind of bomb. shit. Uh, right? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> but fortunately, he caught it early on. And uh, not too much Petit Verdot made it in. It was a couple of gallons. But, I mean, as an intern and you're having the owner winemaker. Oh, know, yeah. With I'm that voice? Sweating bullets. Oh, God. Uh, Did he really lay India? 
No, I don't know. I mean, I've never been probably, but yeah. I, I've been an athlete my whole life. Yeah. So short term memory is the best memory. And so I forget about it. Yeah. Well, a coach will lay into you and then you get over it and, and then you're you good. Get, and, yeah. You have a hug later. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. What about your story? <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Mine was so bad. So, so it was two, three years ago and my dad was in town. He always comes for harvest and he like, is that just, good or bad? Is that like, God, dad, I, I, I don't have time right now. Just like any other time. Well, it, it's it works out really well because especially then like I was having a tough time finding people and he loves it and and I like it too and so my dad was in town helping and it was late and we'd been in the winery for all day I mean it was probably 10 or 11 at night and I was living in Cayucas at the time and we were just cleaning up and we were going to go home and I'm like dad I'm like will you spray all the tanks with vodka uh, and then put the the caps back on and he instead of pulling off the cap the front triclover he pulled off the entire bottom part of the valve and it was like a fire hydrant of slide hill syrah and i look over at my dad and he's completely purple (laughs) and he has his hand on the valve and he's holding back the entire tank and it's five tons of slide hill syrah and we're sitting there and it's like 11 at night and we have to drive to cayucas and we're both completely purple and he's like what are we gonna do (laughs) And I'm like, uh, give me, give me five and it's minutes. one of those moments where we're just sitting there looking at each other, like father and son moment, like, oh my God, what are we going to do? So I was like, all right, hold your hand. I was like, is that, his like, hand's not, still on the thing. Yeah. And he's, I'm like, is that hard to hold back? And he's like, no, it's not that hard at all. And I'm okay. like, okay, perfect. So I like go to the like park cart and I do a two inch valve. Uh, and then I do an elbow, a two inch elbow. Um, going down and I grab a pump over cart. Okay. And I grab a, you know, a clamp in a gasket and I'm like, okay, put that under there. And then when you, you open it up, I'm going to put it on there and then I'm going to try to get it on while it fills up the, the pump over cart. And he's like, all right. So then whenever you does come out, you could save to pump back over on the yeah. skins. It, yeah. And I, and so, but before I did that, I vented the tank. Yes. And smart. then, yes. And then I, and then I put it on there and like, vented got, the tank of CO2. No, well, vented the tank because if you, if you start drawing down that fast, you'll implode the tank. If you don't, if the, if it's airtight, cause it's got nothing, all that weight from the liquid sure. implode the okay. tank. Got it. Okay, good. Yeah. And, and so I put it on and we're like, so purple. Yeah. And, and I'm like trying to, and it's like the pump over thing is filling up and we're like, shit. And like, anyway, I get it on and I close it and then we pump the rest over and we drove home in our underwear and, <laughs> <laughs> and we were purple dude. And, uh, I'll never forget that moment. And I probably lost like, I don't know, maybe a barrel's worth, but it was worth it. It was a good, good memory. We lost 25 cases of wine, but yeah. we have a memory that we'll never forget. Yeah, and the, <laughs> and the signet on that was legendary. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, how can people taste the, uh, the wines? What are we doing? By appointment, website, everything. Um, so uh, we're open uh, every day but Tuesday in Tin City. Uh, we do walk-ins, but uh, appointment is recommended. It's so busy in Tin City right now. It's it's good to have an appointment. And we're, we're sit-down tasting. So we sit down, we pour all the wines for you. Um, 
Um, and you know, so we have Lexi and Liz in there and they're awesome. They do most of the tastings and then, yeah, wine club is the best. And then our website's, uh, leave wine.com. L E V O wine.com. Yes, sir. And it's full draw vineyard.com. Correct. All right. Let's play the wine game. Wine game is wonderful. Sweeping the country. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> Connor's like, what the hell am I about to get into? Mm. So you have to refresh my memory. Because- okay, easy. So let's, we'll get, put some wine in your glass at least, Brett. And what we're going to do is we're going to go around in a clockwise fashion, and we're just going to, in rapid succession, name Paso wineries, Paso brands. You'll be fine. I know. And the the two, I know. The two things you don't want to do. (laughs) The two things you don't want to do. One, repeat one that's already been said, Uh and two, pause longer than three seconds. Okay. Oh my gosh. All right. Okay. Fair. And then that's it. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll go around. When one person gets out, then we'll go head to head. There's only three of us. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Well, let, uh, since we're in Connor's house right now, we'll let Connor start. We'll go this way. Go ahead. Full draw vineyard. There you go. Levo. Uh, how about uh, Justin? Booker. Via Creek. Epic. Saxon. Uh, uh, epic. Oh, shit. Oh, God dude. damn, dude. Okay, dude. Can we reset? <laughs> Who was the one that was talking about short term memory? It was, it was I didn't think way too many dubs. Okay, so now that was really quick. So now it's Connor <laughs> v. Adam, and um, I don't know, I guess you lost, so it'd be my turn. Uh-huh. Uh, Tobin James. Lovinger. Uh, how about uh, Barton Family? Austin Hope. Uh, how about Donna Tony? Jay Ducey. Look, he's a really good graveyard. PG Canyon. Niner. Uh, shit. That pipe didn't do much to his head. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, Kaliza. Midnight. Darkstar. Uh, ooh, look, I see what he's doing now. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. Sexton. Um, end of day. Four lanterns. Hubba. Uh, son, uh, Aaron. Uh, Desperada. Turtle Rock. Herman's Story. Uh, Torrin. Look at you. Law. Onyx. Halter Ranch. Mm. Hawks Hill. Talbot's Creek. Uh, yeah, I'm out. I'm drunk. You think so? Call a friend. Phone me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a game. That was pretty fun, though. I mean, and, and here's the thing that he does, which I try and do, is like, if you have an answer right when the person says it kind of puts them on defense a little bit uh-huh. you were really good about that because i would say when you'd be right back at it and that for the first time in a while i was like gotta be honest at him because and i'll do what That's, he's doing too i'll think geographically i'm going down roads and i'll also exactly I'm going winery by winery and just yeah because i say oh, midnight wow. he says dark star they're next door to each other oh. <laughs> oh, and then tricky. and then sometimes what i'll do is i'll do letters mm-hmm. you know like oh someone says like awesome help i'll go like oh you know whatever right so yeah, that, I, yeah, I think yeah. that way too but the wine game dude man I could have talked to each of you individually for this long and just had such a fruitful conversation. But to have you both here, what a blessing. You guys brought just six home runs of wines. I can't even imagine. Like I feel so lucky today. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, this is a blast. What's the so future cool. of the podcast? Are you guys going to, like, I mean, you guys are on 50 now. I, I saw yeah, this today. is like episode probably 52 or 53. Awesome. And we're in all 50 states. Like, we're being downloaded in all 50 states, 75 plus countries. That's awesome. No way. It's remarkable. It's crazy. God bless Paso Wine. What Paso Wine has been able to do here is beyond remarkable. And I can't thank you guys enough. Yeah, well, shout out to you and Paso Wine Alliance. You guys kill it. I was just up in San Jose and saw a billboard of Paso I Wine. It. I was like, hell. Dope. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's and awesome. Then, and I, I would hope people would come in and 
taste your wines and say, hey, heard about this on the podcast. Like, I mean, I really want people to learn more about what Connor and Becca are doing here with Full Draw. Um, the vineyard story, how, you know, how I first met you at, at Booker and you're now right next door with your own property and killing it with your fruit and these wines. And then, you know, your story, I mean, Brett, like literally you, you get this place in Tin City and one of the, the bonuses I remember you telling me back in the day was like, yeah, I, I got to live there for a while. Like, you, yeah. you crashed there. <laughs> I did. And I know your girl- man cave. I know your girlfriend probably didn't like it as much, but like you were, you look back on those times as kind of a, a sweet moment. It's a cool moment to say that. It is. Like most people look at the wine industry and they think that it's this like kind of luxury, like, you know, you're going to go eat your fruit and taste your barrels, but it is. Connor can t- speak to it. It's seven days a week. It's it's, it's 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., but I love that. And I think that's what makes it so fun is that like yeah. adventure. So it's it makes it, it it's a great story to live and the tenacity that both of you and your families and your will and everything that went into it it was everything I mean like you're literally willing to live at work you were you're waking up at work you know yeah and Twilight Zone I know I, I can't even imagine probably cool. a whole podcast on that it was cool but uh, all right man thanks for sharing all this wine oh, yeah. absolutely. gentlemen to where wine takes you absolutely oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Give me that mm-hmm sound. We'll get by. We bounce all around till the job is done. Camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Well, thanks so much to Connor and Full Draw for hosting. And thanks to both Brett and Connor for sharing where wine has taken them. Thankfully to hear. And for sharing some great wines and even better conversation. Also fun to play the wine game again. Brett and Connor actually played again later on just versus each other. And I'll have you know, Brett did a lot better. He he played very well. All right, don't forget, uh, we will talk more about the Paso Wine Virtual Auction coming up next in the next episode, which I'm very excited about. But in short, June 20th through 25th, you don't want to miss this. Wines, excursions, experiences. Things you can't get your hands on normally, go to PasoWine.com. Don't miss this. And I tease a little bit of the next episode. I am very excited about it. i got a couple authors, a badass winemaker uh, for a brand that has been repping Paso to the entire earth for a long time. Really cool stuff. I'm excited. So the next show, I'll just say this. The wine will take us on a drive through Paso Robles. So don't miss it. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music on the podcast, Good Company, performed by Moonshiner Collective. Find them wherever you get your music and online, moonshinercollective.com. Equipment transport and technical consideration provided by Fly With Wine. If you like traveling, you love wine, check out flywithwine.com. And next time you are cruising along on the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio. My morning show, weekday mornings, up and Adam in the morning, heard on the Crush 92.5. And that's also where you hear the cork dorks and more. You could stream Crush with a K, crush925.com. We also have a free app in your smartphone. Thank you so much for connecting with us here again. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Until next time. Forget the glass, grab the bottle that's nearest to you. Lift it up high and cheers to making that jump and learning to fly, sometimes even in that order. And for being grateful to who you're with and to where wine takes you. And give me that sound, get bowing, pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good comfort. Give me that sound, get bowing, pass on down 
down till the job is done. Camped out in the trees, it will simplify. Good call. Give me that moon sound, we'll get by. We pass all around till the job is done.